You're listening to the Adult Explore the Bible weekly leadership training podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne Recreary, your host and also the leader for the Adult Explore the Bible team. I'm being joined today by Mike Livingston, who's one of the content editors for the Adult Explore the Bible team. Uh, we're glad you're here. We're going to be looking at session 12, which looks at Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. Uh, let me just walk through that passage real quick. The outline follows these three points. First of all, true state. Second point is true worship. And the third point is true satisfaction. And it follows these breaks. First of all, true state, verses 1 through 5 of Isaiah 58. In these verses, Isaiah called out the people of Israel for their empty religious rituals. God ignored their practices because they continued to live disobediently, pointing to the true state of their hearts. The second point, true worship, looks at verses 6 through 10. Here, Isaiah defined true fasting in terms of depriving oneself of food so that poor, hungry people might have something to eat. Righteous living is demonstrated by caring for the hungry and poor, serving as light in a dark world. The third point, verses 11 through 12, it's called True Satisfaction is the title we're using. In these verses, Isaiah explained that God would lead, satisfy, and strengthen obedient people. They would enjoy God's blessing. So we've got some questions for us to think about here, Mike. First of all, Isaiah calls out the hypocrite here in this passage. He's done it before. How can we confront without being self-righteous or offering no hope to someone? Well, Isaiah called out the hypocrites here because God called him to this prophetic role. You know, God says in Isaiah 58, 1, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Now, we, we don't want to be too quick uh, in taking on this role of prophet ourselves. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there, there's uh, some people who seem to take delight in pointing out other people's sins. I mean, you know, I don't know if, you know, if oh, anyone yeah, else I, has noticed that or not. What's funny um, is everybody listening just had a face go through their, their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure that there are people who's, you know, that, that verse is their life verse. Uh, you know, it seems, um, <laughs> but the, but seriously, in, in all seriousness, the, the danger in becoming hypocritical, or it, it, the danger is becoming hypocritical in calling out the hypocrites. Um, that, that's, that's the danger for us. You know, hypocrisy can take uh, different forms. Uh, one form of hypocrisy is to profess belief in something, and then you act in a way that's inconsistent to, to what you say you believe, and you know, you're pretending to be something you're not. That, that's one form of hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus talked about that when he, you know, compared the scribes and Pharisees to cups that were clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. And, and he said to his disciples and the crowds, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. You know, they say one thing, they do another thing. So that's one kind of hypocrisy. But hypocrisy can also take the form of just looking down on people when we ourselves are equally flawed. Or, or judging people from a position or a posture of self-righteousness. 
This is the form of hypocrisy Jesus addressed in Matthew 7. He said, do not judge. You know, he's talking about this hypocritical attitude that uh, is eager to tear other people down in order to build yourself up. And he said, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? You don't notice there's a beam of wood. There's a two by four in your own eye. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that we overlook the sin of, you know, another other people or other believers, um, you know, because Paul, uh, you know, Paul dealt with this whole issue. Uh, you think, you know, to the Corinthians, First Corinthians 5, there's this problem in the church, of these, this immoral church member, a man sleeping with his father's wife. And, and you know, it, it, that, that was a situation that should have broken the hearts of, of the believers in the church. Instead, they were just tolerating it. They were ignoring the problem. And, and Paul said, you can't ignore that problem. You've got to deal with that problem. And, and he said, hand that one, that person over to Satan. Which, which meant to exclude that person from the fellowship, but it was, it was done with a purpose uh, of leading the person to repentance. So the goal uh, was redemption, not retribution. The goal was to help in the long run and not to hurt. So that was true in Paul's letters, and that was true in Isaiah. So here in Isaiah 58, you, you got God through his prophet conf confronting his people with their sins, because he, he wants to call them back to himself. He's, he wants to give them this opportunity to, to come back to him and to experience his forgiveness. It's like Isaiah's already said in uh, chapter 30, verse 18, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy. So calling out hypocrisy, uh, going back to your question, how do we <laughs> confront without being self-righteous? Calling out hypocrisy must always be done in a posture of grace and humility with the goal of repentance and restoration and not, not in a spirit of self-righteousness and in condemnation. You don't feel, at least when I'm reading Isaiah, you don't get the impression that he is, um, that, that he, he's, he's doing it, that he's enjoying doing this, that he's, um, uh, it relishes the idea of pointing out these kind of things, but he's doing it with a broken heart, with the hope that they will return and repent. Uh, at least that's how I see what he's yeah, doing here. Yeah, and I see. Yeah, I see that too. I think it's always done. If it's done in the right way, it's done with a broken heart. It's done with a broken heart, and not with an attitude of glee. You know, not yeah. you know, taking not taking pleasure in it, but always done with a broken heart. Yeah. Uh, he he picks on fasting here. Are, are fasting and other practices discouraged because of what we see here in this passage? Well, yeah, you might almost come to that conclusion, um, but, but, you know, in, in this passage, but fasting, fasting isn't discouraged, but fasting for the wrong reasons is discouraged. And, uh, you know, you got the people, he's addressing people here who are fasting. They're, they're going through this, you know, ritual, religious ritual, they're fasting, they're, they're, you know, denying themselves food, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're in verse three, they're complaining because God isn't taking notice. And, and he says in verse three, why have we fasted that you've not seen? We've denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed, you know, you haven't even noticed us. So they were, the reason they were fasting was, was this effort to manipulate God to, you know, it, really they're trying to bargain with God. Well, if God sees us doing this, maybe he will give us what we want. There's a great uh, line, a great quote in the leader God commentary about this. It says they wanted something from God, but not God himself. 
And I think that sums it up pretty, pretty well. That's the problem with their fasting. They wanted something from God, but not God himself. So while they're going through the motions of religious activity, they're, they're at the same time treating other people um, in a way that really reveals where their hearts are. So they're fasting, but while they're fasting, they're oppressing their workers. And where he says in verse four, you fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. And if you read on into chapter 59, chapter 59 just continues the themes of chapter 58. It says they lie, they shed innocent blood, they act unjustly, they have evil thoughts. And so God is saying in, in Isaiah 58, 4, he says, you can't, fast like that. That's not the way to fast. You can't fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high, it says. You can't oppress and abuse people and then while you're going through the motions of religious activity and think that God is pleased with what you're doing because the purpose of fasting is not to manipulate God. The purpose of fasting is to know God in a deeper experience. So that statement again is they wanted something from God, but not God himself. Well, that's convicting, especially in our world today where, you know, we want this from God, but really do we want God himself yeah. about him, my own, my own life. I want this, but do I really want God himself? Yeah. Um, yeah. Verses eight through 10, we are called to be light. How is that term used in the old Testament versus the new Testament? Is it different or is it the same? I think the same idea is present in the old Testament and in the new Testament. Uh, both here in Isaiah and in, you know, Jesus' teaching, I think the idea is the same, that we, as believers, are called to be light in a dark world. And if you, you know, remember that um, here in this chapter in Isaiah, he's, you know, God is describing the kind of fasting that he wanted from his people. I mean, because what they were doing was not acceptable, you know, to God. So the kind of fasting that he wants, God says, is, is, is like this. He's, here's, the, here's the kind of fasting I want. I'll, sharing your bread with the hungry. Uh, caring for the poor and the homeless. That's what God wants. So if the people's fasting or if, they're, you know, if, if, if their, action, their hearts and their actions look like what God has described in verses 6 and 7 of our passage, then they would be a light that would be shining for others to see. Their actions then would be giving glory to God. And that, so that he says in verse eight, you know, if you do all these things, then verse eight, then your light will appear like the dawn. And that's consistent with New Testament teaching. That's consistent with what Jesus said in Matthew five, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. So in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you find, you know, this, this idea that the world will see the light of the glory of God through the good works of, of uh, Christ's followers, of, of believers. And, and the result of, of, of that is that God will be glorified. So, I, yeah, so your question, I, I think that the idea is the same in the Old Testament and New Testament. We've talked about this multiple times through this quarter, through our study of Isaiah, how we see things that are in the book of Isaiah and things that are in the New Testament pointing to the consistency of the truths of scripture that, you know, sometimes we get the idea mm -hmm. that the old Testament has this idea and the new Testament yeah. has this, but yeah. as we study Isaiah, it becomes apparent. It is one book written yes. by, you know, inspired by different people, but God directed those 
those men to write those things a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that message is so consistent. And we yeah. see that here in this passage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One more question for you. Uh, in the group plans uh, that we're directed uh, to look at Matthew 22, 36 through 40 for insight on how a right relationship with God leads us to treat others. Can you give us any insights or pointers on how we could try to make that happen or how to help them understand that comparison between Matthew 22 and, and here? Yeah. So just um, a reminder, Matthew 22, 36 to 40, that's the Jesus teaching about the greatest commandment. And it came in response to a question he was asked. Teacher, which command is in the law is the greatest? The question is, which command singular in the law is the greatest? The, the expert in the law was asking, you know, the question, which, which one, which one command is the greatest of all the commands? So he's asking Jesus and, to force rank them. Yeah. Give us, give us the number one, you know, number one law, uh, uh, you know, commandment. Uh, and Jesus answered, not with one command, but with two. And, and, and so those two are tied together. You can't separate them. His, his, his answer was love God. That's, that's the first and the greatest love God with all your heart, you know? And, and, and then he said this, there's a second that's, that's like that is just as important. Love your neighbor. Uh, you can't separate the two. So he was asked which one commandment was the greatest. And he replied with two commandments that go together. They're tied together. You, we can't separate those two. You love God, you love your neighbor. And he said, those, those two commands sum up the entire law. All the law and the prophets, he said, depend on those two commands. You think about uh, how the Ten Commandments deal with these two things, um, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. The first four deal with our relationship with God. The last six, our relationship with others. We can't say, well, I'm only going to accept the first four commandments because those are the only ones that matter. You know, only the ones that relate to God or how we relate to God. Those are the only ones that matter. We can't say that. You can't separate them. All 10 equally express God's standards for his people. We love God. We love others. So the clear and consistent teaching in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that a right relationship with God will find expression in our relationships with one another. And, and, and nowhere is that expressed to me more clearly and forcefully than in 1 John 4. You, you, you may you know, remember that verse, if, if anyone, verse 420, 21, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. I mean, that's, that's, those that's are pretty, words. that's pretty blunt. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, how, you, I mean, you, you can't miss the, the point there. He says the person who does not love his brother and so, brother and sister whom he has seen can't love God whom he is not seen. We have this command. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So in other words, the test of our love for God is how we treat people who are right there in front of us from our family members to fellow believers, to uh, strangers, to enemies. It's, it is impossible to love God with all your heart and not reflect God's heart by loving people. So yeah. back, you know, back to Isaiah 58, you know, God has rejected their fasting because they were just going through the motions. Actually, they weren't just going through the motions. They were doing religious things while at the same time oppressing other people. And God says, no, 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 no. Here's what I want. Here's the kind of fasting I want. Set the oppressed free. Share your bread with the hungry. That's what I want. So instead of denying, just denying yourself food, you know, you do that. But instead of just denying yourself food, make sure other people have enough food to eat. 
So if you're going to deny yourself food, do it to make sure other, others have food, because doing that would, would reflect God's heart. So we could, I guess, one way to, 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 uh, to uh, bring this up in the group time would be asked, you know, after you've read the passage of, from Matthew, deal with the questions, can we love God without loving others? Can we love others without loving God? And obviously you can do some of those things, or some people would say you can, but then you could come up with the idea, what's the danger of loving God and not loving others? And what's the danger of loving others without loving God? Uh, those may point to other heart issues that may be a deeper conversation that your group may want to be a part of. Yeah, yeah. Mike, are there any other insights from Isaiah 58 you would have us to, to, to note and be aware of as we get ready to lead this Bible study group? Um, just to point out that there, there is an article in the um, biblical illustrator article that's available in digital form in the leader pack. So if you have a leader pack, you'll have access to this digital um, article uh, about fasting, the Jewish tradition of fasting, where you can get a you know, broader uh, look at the background behind um, the Old Testament teaching concerning fasting. Mike, thank you for being with us today. Before we go, let me just remind everybody listening out there of Extra. Extra is a weekly uh, file that's, a, that's available free online on the Explore the Bible blog. Uh, in, in that article, uh, we identify a current news event and describe a way of using that news story to introduce or conclude the group time. Like I said, the file's free and it works with the group plans in the Adult Leader Guide and the Leader Helps in the Adult Daily Discipleship Guide, either as a supplement, sometimes as a replacement. Uh, these ideas are posted 10 days prior to the suggested use date and you can find them at goexplorethebible.com. I want to thank you for listening to us today, and we hope that you will encourage other teachers to tune in next week as we look at session 13, which will be our conclusion of our study of Isaiah. We'll be looking at Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 20.